And so going to university and then seeing that there's only 10% women on an engineering course was quite a shock because I didn't understand why why that would be. I mean, I was like, well, growing up, I, I was allowed to do engineering stuff. So why can't everybody else? Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Two Pentsworth. This is a series of interviews with female founders in climate tech, where we give them the opportunity to give their two pence worth on the challenges that they have faced as women in climate. The inspiration behind this series and the inspiration behind the name comes from the fact that last year, for every one pound of VC money that was invested, less than two pence went to companies with female founding teams. And as much as I would love to be able to change that statistic single-handedly, I appreciate I can't. Uh, but hopefully through this series, what I'm aiming to do is try and champion the amazing work that is being done out there by women in climate. I also want to shine a light on the adversity that is still present for female founders today and try to understand why only two pence in every pound is going to female-founded businesses. But most importantly, and above all, what I want to do is share the resources, the tips and the advice that these women used to help them on their journeys. This is our fourth episode of the series so far. And in previous episodes, we've been joined by Claire Rampen from Reef, Josephine Bromley from Mortar IO and Aaron Zazu Carmona from Parallel Carbon. They've shared their experiences of fundraising, grant writing, going through venture builders and accelerator programs, and in some cases, how they've juggled this with pregnancy and motherhood. And if you haven't caught any of those episodes, then you can find them on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And we'll put a link to those in the notes for you. Today, we are joined by Sinead Owen, co-founder and chief product officer at Unbound Energy. Sinead has a fascinating background in industrial product design, an inherently male-dominated industry, where she's worked for Dyson on their Airblade products and for Schneider Electric on their smart thermostats. She's worked at leadership level and as a consultant, mentor and advisor to many growing businesses and has long held an entrepreneurial streak of her own. In early 2023, she founded Unbound Energy with her two co-founders as part of the Carbon 13 Venture Builder. They offer solar as a service to businesses that operate from leased premises, giving a flexible and affordable way to decarbonise commercial buildings, which is a win for both the landlord and for the tenant. I am super excited to hear about Sinead's career journey. So Sinead, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so if you don't mind, by, by kind of giving us, I mean, I gave a little bit of a flavour there of what Unbound Energy does, but are you happy to kind of give us the, the full pitch on, on what it is you're building and, and, and what, what you do? Sure. Um, so I, I might want to start with a bit of a fact, I think. The reason we founded Unbound Energy was to help cut carbon emissions. And one of the problems that we saw was that 95% of commercial buildings in the UK currently don't have solar installed. Wow. Although you might look at buildings and residential properties around you and see a lot of solar the reality is still a lot of it doesn't have solar on it and so my co-founders and I went on this journey to really understand why and one of the biggest reasons is called the landlord tenant paradox now really what this means is that when a property is leased often the tenant isn't uh, in the property long enough to be able to make installing solar a good return on investment and the landlord won't install it simply because they don't see the return either. And so you end up with a stalemate situation where nothing happens at all. So what we did is we set up Unbound Energy to solve this problem, starting in the commercial space and perhaps hopefully going into residential in the future. 
That's fascinating. And so how, how does it kind of operate on a kind of day to day basic level? If I were a landlord or a tenant of a commercial building, what, what how, how would I in, interact with it? Well, currently what happens is often landlords or tenants go directly to a commercial solar installer and they'd look for a quote for the project. And what they'd be given is probably a quote for an upfront payment cost, or uh, if they had a good credit rating, they could get a loan for, for seven to 10 years. Um, and then the final option is that you sign a power purchase agreement, which could be anything from 20 to 30 years duration. Many companies can't sign up to any of these options. And so the option that we give to the tenant is that we give them a lease aligned contract so that they can buy energy from us for those, if they have a lease of five years, they can buy energy for five years. And then we sign a separate contract with the landlord that simply states that we can keep the solar on the roof for the life of the solar. So a lot of people ask, well, what happens if the tenant wants to move out? Well, if they want to move out, we simply offer that renewable energy to the next tenant. Um, and if the tenant's lease renews, then they can renew the solar contract with us. Um, we offer a grid price guarantee to make sure that they always get uh, cheaper energy um, than what they pay from their energy supplier as well. Amazing. And, and what stage? So you came through the I mentioned there through the Carbon 13 Venture Builder, and that was where you kind of incubated this idea and, and found mm. your other co-founders. But um, yeah, talk, talk, talk me through what that experience was like, how you ended up going into the Venture Builder and then the kind of founding and origins, I suppose, of, of the idea. Yeah, so I suppose if, if I take it right back to, to why I even wanted to work in climate, I've always loved skiing and the outdoors. And um, I, I really thought that it was about time I would use my skills for something that would help climate change. Having seen um, glaciers like the Meadow Glass and up in, above Chamonix retreat over the years, it, I've seen firsthand the impacts of climate change and I wanted to do something about it. And so I set about on this journey of exploring how I could have an impact um, I wanted to have an impact more than just the sum of myself. I knew that if I could get together with other entrepreneurs, we could do something that was much bigger. And so the, the journey I followed, the first thing I did was I did a carbon literacy course with a company called Protect Our Winters, which is a charity. This is a very short evening course just to give me an overview of what climate change is all about, what it means and, and why it's happening, which was fantastic. Mm. The second thing I did was I then signed up for a course with Air Miners Bootcamp. And that's over six weeks you learn about the how you can reduce carbon emissions and have an impact through um, natural uh, remediations and um, through renewable energy and many other sources. That was absolutely fantastic because um, I had a study group twice a week, once in the evenings and once on a Sunday. And I would meet with six or seven under uh, other like minded people who just wanted to learn more about what they could do to help. So you could talk about um, all of the things you learned and also it gave you a great overview of, of where you could have some impact. So from there, um, I then just started to look for entrepreneurial groups. Who could I network with? Who could I brainstorm and throw ideas around with? And all of this doing it outside of my normal working hours, working as a consultant. And so at that time, I was still working full time. And um, I came across and just randomly applied for this accelerator called Carbon 13. And I thought, well, what, what can hurt, right? If I apply and I don't get in, I don't get in. If they accept me, then I can decide what to do because I hadn't really taken it seriously at the time. Um, and so I had an, a few interviews later and I was offered a place on Carbon 13. And I really just kind of jumped in feet first, really, which is what I normally do when these opportunities come along. Because if they don't work out, they don't work out. It's not the end of the world. Climate change is probably that, so I'll do my best. And uh, <laughs> um, and so that that was the kind of three-step journeys. It's really looking for networks and people to work with, to throw ideas around with, 
and, and, and kind of go on that journey. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else I should say about that. No, that's super interesting. I love that. So I like the fact that you sort of did that piece around educating yourself and understanding the problem before kind of going into that accelerator. And and what was your experience within the venture builder? How how was that? Because I from speaking to people who've gone through it previously and kind of having some involvement with Carbon 13 myself, I understand that that first part, that first is it six weeks? Um, yes is kind of founder matching. So it's you're almost sort of speed dating lots of other founders and ideas within the cohort to understand who you're going to match best with. How, how was that experience? And how did you um, find each other yourself and Ross and Simon? Yeah, I'm, I actually went on quite a journey with Carbon 13. So I went through their accelerator three times in total, wow. um, which is very, very unusual. I don't think anyone's ever hit that record yet. Um, and so I found the founder dating um by the second time quite tiring but the first time was fantastic um it you really do need to have a strategy about how you're going to do it because if you're in a room with 50 other people there's no way that you'll ever get to know all of those people yeah. so you yeah. need to start to strategize and break it down so the way I did it is I thought okay is there anyone who's got the same or similar skills as me okay don't speak to them because you won't make a great team is there anybody who's similar to me in personality? Okay, they might make a great friend, but they're probably also not going to be a great team. Like you need a diversity in skills and a diversity in experience. I think the other side of it is that people going into the accelerator, you generally take with you a few things. Either you, you've previously been a CEO or run a company before, so you've got those skills. You might take a great level of network with you, which is also very powerful and great to have. So you might have a network in um, I don't know, in growing seaweed or a network in um, coal-fired power stations, whatever it might be, whatever your background is that you want to have an impact on. Um, and then the other area is technical expertise. So you might, you'll find people who are just, you know, fantastic software development experts or experts in AI. And so you kind of, you can group people on those respects as well and find other founders to work with. So that from that way, you can probably bring it, the number down of dating down to 10 or 20 people, which you can then more realistically get to know. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was in the, your second foray through Carbon 13 that you found your co-founder. Yeah, it was in the second. It was the very, the very end of the second one, actually, because I worked on a few ideas with different people. They hadn't really um, developed into something that was bigger than as big as we wanted it to be for various reasons mm. um, and so then I started working with Ross and by the time of the second cohort came to an end we had a fairly good idea to work on but we definitely weren't at an investable level so then um, at the end of that Ross and I continued to work together and Ross went back into co the, the third cohort later and and found us our CTO so, um, so yeah it's, it's quite a journey. Oh, brilliant. So so Unbound Energy was formed in the second cohort and then you went back into the third cohort to then further yes, kind of meet your third co-founder and then to like further incubate and grow and evolve the idea. Yeah, and the idea did grow and evolve. It wasn't the same. So the idea that Ross and I originally worked on was called kind of the AWS for energy storage, as it were. What we're looking at is how can we... Um, remotely organize and distribute energy storage on the grid and treat it like an AWS system rather than the clunky system that we see today. You know, how can we do lots of small areas of energy storage? Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite different and it's evolved in the energy space, but 
having worked on it for so long, we now have a fantastic network of people in this space and, and built a lot of credibility around what we know. Amazing. So, so talk me through where you've got to today. So after kind of spinning out from the third cohort at the very beginning of this year, is that right? Talk, talk me through how the business has kind of evolved over this last eight months and, and kind of where you're at with it today. Yes, yeah, so the, the business has evolved into a, a much more refined um, proposition. Um, we've definitely identified in more detail who our customers are. So um, we're working in the commercial space. So when we first pitched to Carbon 13 and we raised pre-seed money with them at the end of that cohort, we were looking in the residential space and the business has definitely evolved into commercial. And the reason we did that is because we can have a bigger co- carbon impact faster. So we could install, let's say, one megawatt uh, peak system by doing, we could get one megawatt peak by doing 10 installations of 100 on a commercial level. But if you were trying to do residential, you might need to do 250 plus installations to get the same size of solar panels on the roof. So we very, really, very quickly realised that we could just have a bigger impact faster by doing commercial. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. And and what have you got planned for the next sort of six, 12 months? What are you excited about? What What's coming up for you? Yeah, well, we, we're kind of at the stage with, with commercial. We found that actually the contract negotiation takes longer. The business decision units take longer within companies. And so we're working to get our first contract signed right now and then get the projects done on the, on the roof. We've got installers working with us. Um, we've got a fantastic one, actually, probably down near you near Essex called Woodford. Um, and it's just been amazing the kind of partnership and collaboration we've had with them and the vision that they share with us and seeing that there is definitely a huge untapped market for what we're doing. Yeah, amazing. That's brilliant. Exciting. Well, watch this space then. And and so on this, I mean, I, I touched in the intro there about your kind of background and your the origins of your career in industrial design and working for, you know, places like Dyson and, and kind of growing your career through what... Um, as you agreed with me prior to coming onto this, is a very male-dominated space. I think you said only 10% of engineers are are female, is that right? At university, it's about 10% level when I was there. Yeah, we're female. And so so how how has that journey been for you? And what's your, I suppose, your experience of that being as as a female? And what adversity or challenges do you feel you faced because of gender, both through that earlier part of your career, but then also as you've kind of, sort of transitioned into the climate space and, and become a founder yourself have well, yeah talk, talk me through that yeah I mean as you mentioned earlier in the introduction to the program we can't deny the data is there that you know there is definitely less investment in female-led companies and we need to do something about it um, but I have to say until I went to university I didn't realize that this was a problem in terms of, of, of the female leadership and, and having the right role models in place like if I take it back to growing up, you know, quite lucky, white, middle class, privileged family, quite a normal family. But my mum was a GP. Um, she was a great role model. I, I never saw any issue with gender. My dad was a naval architect. You know, when I was six, I had my own toolkit and he would have me in the workshop with him and I was making things. So I was I, I never had it kind of stereotyped around me that because I was a woman, I would do certain things and behave in certain ways. And my parents have always let me do what I wanted to do. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm a tomboy. I'm not a fan of the word tomboy because I think that's generally a bit, you know, it's, it's not the right phrase we should be using these days anyway. But I, I was able to do male and female roles in, in growing up. And, and so going to university and then seeing that there's only 10% women on an engineering course was quite a shock because I didn't understand why why that would be. I mean, I was like, well, growing up, I, I was allowed to do engineering stuff. So why can't everybody else? And yeah. it struck me that, you know, 
the first thing we need to do is improve the number of role models in, in engineering, in climate, in tech and in STEM subjects. And, and that's one of the biggest things that we need to continue to push, push for quite hard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. completely agree. And, and as you've kind of, uh, I suppose, especially this kind of latter part of your career, as you've moved more into leadership level and, you know, have done lots of advisory and mentoring and consulting work, have you kind of witnessed perhaps things that not necessarily have been directed at you, but maybe even other people that you've worked with or in their experiences that that kind of explains why there's this kind of split between the amount of funding going to men and female founders? I think men feel more comfortable around men and women feel more comfortable around women. And that's the very natural thing to do. We, you know, this kind of tribal nature of human beings is that we hang out with people who are like us. And so to be able to, even in engineering at Dyson, where there's the majority is male, there's no one single male that I ever met that was sexist or, or, or wanted to behave in a certain way. But I think naturally as human beings, we do behave in that way. And so we need to find a way to, to break that behavior down and we have to do it in a proactive forced way which isn't very nice but there's no other I don't think there's any other way to do it I think you know if you build for myself with this business I'll definitely be proactively building it with a 50 50 split male female as well as all the other um, diversity elements that come with us as human beings um, and we just have to be conscious of it and make it a conscious decision yeah. um, to, to do so so like in climate Again, like it's not, I would never notice it, but I do notice these um, uh, unconscious behavioral elements. So for example, in another company, when we were fundraising, there would be there would be comments relating to, to cricket in the emails. And it's a very male thing. Like women would rarely, well, I'm sure some women love cricket, but women would rarely write references to cricket in emails, but, but men would. But then that unconsciously and unintentionally divides the workforce and divides who you're talking to and you know so so these things are happening we just need to be more conscious about the unconscious bias absolutely yeah and bringing that kind of inclusivity in where you're not putting unintentionally alienating things in yeah that stop somebody kind of yeah interacting or building a rapport in the same way it's a bit like the old you know business being done on the golf course thing that luckily doesn't happen anymore but or probably, yeah. probably still does but doesn't happen as often anymore um, exactly and you know and I will say things as well and so if I do anybody who's listening to this please pull me up send me a message send me an email and say by the way you said or you wrote this and it's not right and um, you know we all need to be corrected and I'll quite humbly take take that from you yeah absolutely yeah. no you're right it's so important and I think you're right in that it is a kind of you you perhaps are drawn to men would be more drawn to or feel more comfortable with other men. And so I suppose, like you said, the solution to that is just having more women in the room, having more women at the table, you know, having more female role models that A, show you it's possible and you can go and achieve it too. But also once you get there, you can, yeah, you can build more of a rapport with or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Fair enough. And so on on your kind of journey through your career, talk talk me through some of the resources that you have used and lent on to. And we'll come to the sort of your ultimate quickfire ones in a minute. But if you can give me a few examples, because I know you said at the beginning of our of our chat today, you've got absolutely loads. And that's great. Uh, so talk me through all of those kind of resources, communities that you've kind of lent on throughout that journey that, that you would suggest other people go and check out. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm very grateful to, to a friend called Andrew Mulverno, who pulled me into a community called ICE. Um, if you want to check it out, it's theicelist.com, um, which is the International Conclave of Entrepreneurs, which is quite a mouthful, and um, hence called ICE. 
Uh, and this is a, a, an entrepreneurial group um, and they also uh, run cubes, which are kind of groups of entrepreneurs that meet together once a month to discuss everything that they're going through for business, family and personal life. Um, I have to say that this has been fantastic because as much as having your family around you to support you in an entrepreneurial venture is really, really great, they don't really quite understand um, the ins and outs and the troubles you go through. And so being a member of one of these groups, so I'd say ICE, um, if you're not eligible for ICE, um, there's a uh, Cheryl, Sandberg, Cheryl Sandberg website called Lean In, which she created after writing the book, which is also very good. They have their own groups and communities. And then there's yeah, also um, the Founders Network as well. I think they also have a similar thing to ICE Cubes like ICE do. So I definitely recommend joining one of those. Amazing. And, and um yeah, you're completely right about, you know, family not always quite understanding, right? So it's really useful to talk to other people that are on that same journey and you can bounce ideas off. And But also great that that environment isn't just dedicated to talking about the business. You said there that, you know, you can talk about emotional, personal things as well, because I think when on a founder journey, the two are so intertwined, right? Yeah, everything everything is, is mixed in and, and often decision making can be quite emotional. Um, but, as a founder your team is like your family you're very close and so you become close on very many levels and it's it's you know it can be a quite a tough thing to go through um i think on another level beyond where i've got to with business but there's another book called the hard thing about hard things by ben horowitz okay, um, okay. and that's also quite an eye-opener to what he went through with his uh, entrepreneurial journey Oh, interesting. I haven't heard of that one. I'll check that out. Um, and you've done a couple of other, so you did obviously the Carbon 13 Venture Builder, but you've also done Entrepreneur First, right? And I did, um, quite a few years ago, yeah. as well. And I did that similar time as doing the Carbon Literacy course, because at that time I wanted to start working in climate and work on climate ideas. So like some of the yeah. things that I worked on that didn't work out, which is always the interesting stuff. And um, so with On Deck Build for Climate, I looked at uh, car low carbon ready meals, which was really cool. So we looked at doing a ready meal that you buy from the supermarket, but rather than it just having a salt rating on it or a protein rating on it, it had a carbon impact rating. So you could choose your food based on the climate impact that it had. Um, and the assumption there was that a lot of people are still busy and they just, they want to be able to make good climate choices but they don't have the time to do so. And so you're doing it for them. Oh, I um, love it. I still think it's a idea. So if anyone's a food techie and wants to work on it, feel yeah, free. I'd definitely be a customer, 100%. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and so we come to the kind of quick fire section, which is where I ask you for one resource um, from, well, I ask you for two resources and an individual that you would recommend mm -hmm. that people check out. Um, so the first one being, um, what community or organisational people-based resource do you credit as being the most impactful for you and that you would recommend people check out? Um, I would do this again, and I think I mentioned it earlier, but the Air Miners Bootcamp, yeah. absolutely fantastic six-week course. I just loved all the resources, the people that I met in my study group because they were also interested about learning about climate and they were from all over the world. Um, and then they also have a Slack group. So once you've finished your study, you can carry on talking about various elements of, of how you can impact, have a positive impact on climate. Amazing. And is there a cost attributed to doing the MI? No, it's, oh, yes, it's completely free. That's the great thing about it. Amazing. It's completely free and they start them every six weeks or every couple of months. So you just sign up and tell them what your availability is. 
um, they run the study sessions, you have a number of options about which sessions you want to go to, then they'll organise the groups for you. All you need to do is commit your time to go to the study sessions and probably at least an hour a week to do the basic study. And the way they do the study for you is, so for example, the first week is all, is all about forest and reforestation. They give you a whole load of study documentation and it's split into three levels. The first level is this is the minimum stuff you can read and it will only take you an hour. And then there's another level, which is another few hours study. And then there's the third level, which is, you know, spend your life on it. Um, and so it's, it's just absolutely fantastic. That's incredible. And is there a like a prerequisite to get in in terms of a certain level of experience or literally anybody can do it? Literally anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. That's the great thing. And you can ask all the questions that you wanted to, wanted to no matter how stupid they are. Um, and there's also the experts as part of the project. So if in your study group, you don't figure it out you can go back to the experts and ask those questions on Slack. Amazing. And is it purely focused on carbon removal or is it general carbon literacy? Uh, purely focused more on the carbon removal side. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Super. Thank you. Um, and your second quick fire recommendation is for a media based resource resource, I should say. Yeah. Um, so a book or a podcast or a film or a talk that you um, that, that, that's been game changing for you. Um, my Climate Journey, the podcast, I absolutely love it. Um, I remember listening to one episode, which was about a company called Planetary, and how they take um, the waste mine tailings. So mine tailings are just waste from mining um, and use them for carbon sequestration. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And all of the problems that they went through to try to figure this out and how they're using it and the carbon impact that it has now. And there's just, they, they cover so many different companies and different spaces it's really really interesting yeah amazing and they have a whole community don't they mcj and a whole yeah. slack channel that you can it's be part of. Of. yeah i haven't joined that slack channel i'm a bit slacked out at the moment but i will i, I do want to <laughs> it is quite good uh but yeah. I, I hear what you're saying you get that can get on top can't it too many slack too many slack communities yeah um and the final quickfire recommendation being what role model business role model either in climate or doesn't have to be can just be gen a general entrepreneur that you look up to that you are you know that you admire that other people may not have heard of um I don't really have one that people other people may not have heard of um I honestly I just don't have one um perhaps I'm just too busy with my head and I'm trying to build on bound energy <laughs> <laughs> yeah also I have my own um I've got my own climate motivations for the reason why I'm doing this. And so I never felt like I've needed to have one because I'm so motivated to to make sure that there's glaciers and snow and mountains there for everybody to enjoy in the future that I probably didn't need it as much. I have to say that there is one that everybody knows that I think there's very good underlying message that's probably not dug into as much. So if you think about Greta Thunberg um, and the, you know, the fantastic work that she does to get the message of climate change out there, I think one of the big impacts that she really has is the impact on children and their parents, because there's no bigger impact or motivator a parent can have than to do something for their child and to make their child happy. And so if their children are upset about climate change because they're listening to what Greta's saying, then they'll go back to their parents and hopefully their parents will act as well. And I think that's just a fantastic ecosystem of something that's been evolving naturally. Yeah. Um, and I see that whenever I speak to anyone or work with anyone that's a parent. Um, you know they want to do it for their children and that's a great motivator yeah i hear that a lot i mean obviously my my day-to-day -day is is speaking to people that want to transition into the climate sector and and 
the number one reason people give me is because they're a parent and they want to do it for their children. Um, I think you're so right with that. And, and the other thing that I think Greta Thunberg does, and it's kind of a similar point to the one you just made, but is she she gives children a voice. Um, you know, she she shows in action to children that actually you can stand up and you you your voice can be heard. And, you you know, just because the adults are saying something doesn't mean they're always right. Um, and, and you can have your say, too, because this is going to be your planet. Um, and so, yeah, I think she gives children that confidence and that voice to kind of speak up and feel like they can be counted, which I think is important. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shana, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely lovely to speak to you, to hear all about the journey and to learn about what you're doing with Unbound, which sounds like a problem that the world very much needs solving. So I wish you and Ross and Simon all the best of luck over the next six, 12 months with, with continuing to evolve that idea. And I will most certainly be watching this space as you continue to develop it. Um, and we've got loads more fantastic episodes coming to you. So as I said, this is episode four. We've got nine episodes scheduled for this series. We've got five more fantastic female founders coming to join us over the next few weeks to share their stories, their journeys, the adversity they faced, uh, but also the tools, resources and equipment that they used um, to overcome them. So thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.